If you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them out and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 22 this morning. So 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 22. Before we begin, last week I, there was a quote that I wanted to give you, and I couldn't remember it right in the middle of the sermon, so I wanted to tell you that quote. Uh, it's uh, from uh, one of my mentors, Bebo Elkin, and he said this, Christ loved the church enough to die for her. I can love the church enough to be patient with her. Uh, And so I just wanted to throw that out and remind you of that, that Christ loved the church enough to die for. We can be patient with the church. And by church, we don't mean the building. We mean us. We're all uh, in process. We're all in uh, becoming more and more like Christ. And so we can can be patient with each other as we are growing in Christ. Uh, So uh, this morning, there's a couple things that are happening in this passage in 16 through 22. What you see is a lot of superlatives, all right? Um, I'm going to try to give you a good definition of a superlative, but if I don't uh, clarify this for you, you can see Kenny afterwards. One of the first times that I met Kenny, he listened to the way that I spoke, and he said, you use so many superlatives, and I said, what's that? Well, I say always, and, uh, and what else do I say? Forever and always and those sorts of things a lot. Well, and, and I, I thought about that, and I've thought about that a lot since he's told me that, and, and realizing that we live in a world that is afraid of the superlative. Um, this week, uh, a friend of mine sent me a box of pralines, uh, and um, Karen, I haven't forgotten you've promised to give me some of your pralines, um, but it was a box of pralines, and it's Paul's perfect pralines. I mean, it's from Texas, and he sent me these pralines because I, on Facebook, questioned whether or not they were the perfect pralines. And, and they sent, he sent them to me. I t- tasted them. And they were really amazing pralines. I mean, I've, I, they weren't grainy at all. They were very smooth and creamy. I mean, and for a candy that's made completely of sugar, it wasn't overly sweet. It was really what I thought was the perfect praline. But when I went to go post about it on Facebook, I said, these are among the best pralines I've ever had. I had to qualify it. I couldn't use the superlative that these were the best that I ever had. Well, I want to point that to you because what what we see in the passage today is that Paul, the Apostle Paul, doesn't mind using superlatives. And all over this passage, you see all sorts of superlatives, words that that give you the the very highest or or, uh, the very highest degree or quality. Um. Words that don't qualify or aren't qualified at all in his uh, discussing how the Christian should live his life. So uh, I want to read this for us, uh, verses 16 through 20, uh, 16 through 22. Notice the shortness of these ver- verses. In the Greek, it's actually interesting. It's only one or two words. And, and uh, it's an amazing thing. It's like he's just hammering these things and very quickly getting these things out. But he says a lot in these few words. This is God's good and kind and gracious word to you this morning. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help in understanding his word. Pray with you. 
And Father, we thank you for giving us this word uh, this morning. We thank you for it giving us life, for teaching us and uh, reproving us, for leading us in the way of righteousness. Father, we pray that this would not be burdensome to your people, but that it would be a delight to us as we see all that you have done for us in your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So this morning I want to look at this passage in three ways. Um, first of all, we're going to see that, uh, that we are commanded to live prayerful lives. And secondly, we're going to see, and I've, I've made this word up. This is a word I've made up. Spiritful lives. It's not a word. Spiritful. I mean, I could just say spirit-filled, but I don't want to say that. It doesn't work for my points. So prayerful, spiritful, and then thirdly, beautiful. Christians are to live prayerful lives, spiritful lives, beautiful lives. So first of all, we are to live prayerful lives. Uh, notice, notice in verse 18, Paul says, at, at, at the end of verse 18, For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Paul is wrapping up everything that he began in chapter 4. In the beginning of chapter 4, just flip back to that. Chapter 4, verse 3. He says this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Okay. So in these two chapters, in chapters 4 and 5, if you want to know what God's will for your life is, you can take out 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. You can read those two chapters and you can know exactly what God wants for your life. And essentially it's this. He wants you to be sanctified in the truth of Jesus Christ. That's what he wants. In everything that happens in the world, he is sanctifying his people. He is making us more like his son, Jesus Christ. And, and what Paul does is he lays out a few ways in which he wants his people to be sanctified. They're to be sexually moral. They're to show brotherly love. They to, are to encourage one another with the Lord's return. They're to respect the elders of the church. They're to be patient and loving toward one another. They're to be good to those in the outside world. So, I mean, those six things, that's what God wants for us. And he's going to conclude those things today by talking about how, we, how else we should live in being prayerful and spiritual and beautiful. So we pray. And what he does in this passage is he tells us three ways that we as Christians should pray. So in verses 16, 17, and 18, he gives us those three things. Verse 16, and, and I know this is simple. This is easy stuff. How should you pray? You should pray with rejoicing. Pray with rejoicing. And how often should you be rejoicing? That's one of those superlatives. Always. God's people are always to be rejoicing. And then he says, he goes on to not put too fine a point on it. Look in verse, uh, look in verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Rejoice always and pray without ceasing. So if you're always rejoicing, how are you going to be praying at the same time you're rejoicing? Well, it's simple. You pray by rejoicing. Okay? You rejoice and you pray without ceasing. Another superlative. You don't stop praying. The Christian life is to be one of constant prayer. And then the third thing he says is to pray by giving thanks. You give thanks to God for who he is, 
for what he's done in Jesus Christ and what he continues to do in your circumstances. That's what he says. Give thanks in all circumstances. He doesn't say give thanks when things are going good. He doesn't say give thanks whenever you're happy. He doesn't say give thanks when your kids are obedient. He doesn't say give thanks when everything is going just like you want it to. But give thanks when things are going just like you want it to. And give thanks when things are going really, really, really badly. Give thanks in all circumstances. Pray pray by uh, rejoicing always. Pray without ceasing. And pray by giving thanks in all circumstances. See, the Christian life is to be one of prayer. This isn't the kind of thing that you do whenever you bow your head and you say some words one or two or three times a day or when you're reminded of it. The Christian life is a life of prayer. And so what you need to understand is that your life is constantly a life that is talking and in communication with God. And so your, your life is reflecting the things that you believe about God at all times. And so if there's ever a point in your life when you are not rejoicing, you are believing something wrong about God. If there's ever a point in your life whenever you are not in thanksgiving, then there's something wrong with what you believe about God. Because here's what he has done for his people. He has saved us in Jesus Christ. He has given us everything we need for salvation. So that he expects nothing more from you. So that you can rest in Jesus. Now that does not mean that everything goes good all the time. It does not mean that everything is easy and perfect. It's not. You know that. Things are hard. But we have promises from Jesus Christ himself when he says, You realize that that God as a good father gives good gifts to his children. And that means if he's sovereign over all of the world and sovereign over your circumstances, then even in the hard things that come into your life, those are intended by God for your good. So give thanks for them. And this morning in Ephesians, we were reading in, uh, in Sunday school, and I was reminded and struck by this, that Paul gets the point across that for his people, that we are seated in the heavenly places with Jesus Christ right now. So yes, it's true that you are seated in Clinton, Louisiana, at Faith Presbyterian Church at 1136 in the morning. This is where you are. Yes, that is true. But if you are in Jesus Christ, you are also seated with God in the heavenly places. Seated meaning you are ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ. If that's not something to be thankful for, I don't know what is. Be thankful in all circumstances because even though things might be hard now, you can rejoice because you are seated with Him. Well, how are you doing with these things? I mean, you know those things that are true. I mean, you can tell me those things. You can probably quote to me these, these verses. And yet is your life marked by rejoicing and thanksgiving constantly? I, and I'm struck by this because we live in the greatest country that has ever existed. I mean, this is an incredible country. We live with the most liberties that anyone has ever lived with. We've lived, we have the, the greatest individual wealth that the world has ever known. And we are so like, grumpy all the time. It, it seems like we can't get beyond ourselves to be happy, at least for the physical things and the, the resources that God has given us. I mean, we complain about everything. I mean, and I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. I mean, personally, I have so much to be thankful for, and I'm grumpy. And I want to do what 
so many of you do, and so many of your wives look at your husbands and do you say, what's wrong with you? Right? <laughs> I want to look and see, what's wrong with me? Well, what's wrong with me is that they don't realize what Christ has done for me, and I forget. Well, what's the cure to that? What's the cure to that for you? The cure is the medicine. The medicine is the cure. It's the, it's the same thing. Rejoice always. Rejoice. The more you rejoice, the more you're going to be a person that rejoices. Rejoices. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks to God in all circumstances. So that's the first thing. We are to be prayerful. Secondly, we're to be spiritful. In verses 19 through 21a, you see this. He says, do not quench the spirit. It's a famous verse. Uh, many of you probably know that. Uh, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Uh, and what I think he's doing here is he's actually telling you, uh, well, he's saying, first of all, don't quench the Holy Spirit. We need to talk about what that means. Um, it's not the same as blasphemy against the Spirit. Uh, and at one point, um, Jesus says, you know, there's only one unforgivable sin, and that is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Uh, and essentially, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is contributing the work of God to the work of Satan. It is saying that what God does is not good, and it is a lifelong denial of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Rejection of Jesus is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. But he's not saying that here because he is talking to Christians. And he's saying that Christians can do something. We can quench the Holy Spirit. And that word quench, uh, some of your translations might say extinguish. I don't think that's the intent of the word quench. Uh, it's not to do away with completely, but it's to tamp down and to dampen the work of the Holy Spirit. And essentially it just means this, to quench the Holy Spirit is to work against the work of the Holy Spirit. God gives His Spirit to His people to live inside and work inside of His people. To, to enable us more and more to die to sin and to live to righteousness. And somehow or another, I don't have all of the ways that this works out, we can, as Christians, not cooperate with the Spirit, but can actually tamp down on the Spirit's work. And so it's, it's something like this. You know, yesterday I was working in the yard with Alexander, um, and I was moving rocks from one place in the driveway to another place in the driveway, and he was working with me to do those things. Um, but so often he was working against my work. So I would put rocks in one place and he would try to move them to another place. Right? And what, what Paul is saying is when the Holy Spirit is at work, don't work against the Spirit. And I think what he does is he gives us two ways in this passage that we can quench the Spirit or we should not quench the Spirit. First of all, he says, do not despise prophecies. So what does that mean? Um, well, I, in the first century, to the first century church, because there were not pastors and teachers uh, as, as uh, proliferate, uh, proliferated as they are now, um, God gave to the church um, utterances in the Holy Spirit. And at various times in the church service, people would rise up. And with the translator, they would speak in tongues and they would give prophecies. Um, I think those things have passed away. I think 1 Corinthians chapter 13 indicates that in the first century after the time of the apostles that those things have gone away. But those were things that were happening in the early church. And what that gave way to was not utterances by, uh, by prophets in the church, but it gave way to pastors and teachers and elders preaching and proclaiming the, the word of God. That's what 
That's what they were doing. The prophecies were the word of God given direct, directly from God. And what we see in the scriptures is that that gives way to what I'm doing right now, the proclamation of the word of God. And so what I think that means for us today is don't quench the spirit by despising the preaching of the word of God. Don't quench the spirit by despising the preaching of the word of God. God has given us the church as the primary means of the proclamation of the word of God. And if you are neglecting the worship of God and neglecting sitting under the preaching and the proclamation of the word of God, then you are despising the work of the spirit. You are are despising prophecy and are quenching the spirit. And the second thing that he says is, uh, but, um, but test everything. And whenever you see the Spirit, and oftentimes you'll see this, and you see this in 1 John where the Apostle John says this, he says, test the spirits, 1 John 4. Um, and what he means there is, whenever there's a prophecy or the proclamation of the Word of God, listen to it, receive it, but don't just take it as if it's the truth Test that word that is given. So the responsibility for you as members, as hearers of the word of God, is to go and read your Bibles and understand if the word that is given is consistent with the scriptures. Test the spirit. Here's what he means. Be discerning as Christians. Receive the word. Discern whether or not it is truly the word. So be discerning, and this is, this is uh, my encouragement, this is my application to you. You need to be discerning whenever anyone says anything about the Word of God, and that includes me. You need to test the words that I say according to the truth of Scriptures. And I would say this, especially in the world that we live in today, but always at all times, if anyone says they have anything of a religious or spiritual nature to offer you, Test that word against the truth of the scripture. It is vital for Christians to do this. I think that is one of the main things that is lacking in evangelicalism in Christian churches today. That we do not test the spirits. That we just take whatever is thrown at us and we just believe, well, that's all there is to it. No, we need to be careful and discern what is being offered. And by doing that, guess what? You don't quench the Spirit. You cooperate with the Spirit. You grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ by doing those things. So be spiritful. That's what it means to be full of the Spirit, to work with the Spirit, to hear the Word of God, to receive it, to be transformed by this. I'm constantly amazed that this is the thing that God uses to transform individuals. It doesn't happen. I mean, you're going to walk out of here and, and maybe you're not going to know that you're changed. But God has promised that every time his word is preached, it does not return void to him. There is a transformation that is happening, even if it's subtle and slight. And what's great is the more and more you put yourself under the preaching of God's word, God's word the more and more you are transformed into the image of Christ. So don't despise prophecies. Test everything. Thirdly, he says that Christians are to be beautiful. So look here at the end of verse 21 and 22. Hold fast what is good. Um, and And that same word there for good can be translated beautiful. And he says abstain from every form of evil. 
all through this, these two chapters, four and five, I've been using that formula. Put off unrighteousness. Take off your sin. Put on the righteousness of Christ. Put on something good and then renew your mind. Well, that's essentially what you see here. What, what Paul says is put on what is good by taking off what is bad. Okay, You and I need to be holding on to the good, holding on to the beautiful things of the world. Um, and in context, he's talking about the preaching of the word of God. He's talking about prophecy from God. And he says, hold fast to what is good. Hold fast to the true things in the word of God. Hold fast to the things that God says are true and beautiful and good. So hold on to the truth. Hold on to what God actually says about a few things, about your sinful heart. Right? I mean, that's what the scriptures say. The scriptures say that our heart is, is black and is dark and our hearts have sin and our, we are stained by sin. I mean, and that's not a beautiful thing for us to talk about, but in light of the good news of Jesus Christ, the, the fact that our stain-filled hearts are redeemed by Jesus, it's a good thing to talk about. It's a good thing for you to acknowledge and to recognize that even though you may have been redeemed by Jesus, there is sin that remains inside of your heart that needs to be dealt with. And as a Christian, you can repent and you can trust and you can obey Jesus Christ. And that is beautiful. Believe the things that he says about salvation, that the only way of salvation is through the finished work of Jesus Christ and faith in him. There are not many roads to heaven. There is one road and it is Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the things that are true about the world around us and the wickedness and, the, and, and all of the terrible things about the world around us. But yet, like we saw last week, that we are not to repay evil for evil. That we are to love and show the world the good of Jesus Christ. To not grumble and complain and to believe that God is at work in this world. We're to hold to those things to the good. But then also we're to run away from the things that are evil. In the context, again, he's talking about preaching the word of God. Run away, abstain from, stay away from preaching that does not glorify Jesus Christ or elevate Jesus Christ. Stay away from preaching that elevates you, that says you can save yourself, that, that all you need is a little tweak to who you are and you're going to be okay. Stay away from preaching that limits the work of God. Run away from those things. Those things are evil. But also the evil that is in the world. All the things that we've talked about over the last few weeks. Refrain from sexual immorality. Show brotherly love. And show good to those that are outside of the world. To run away from the evil of the world. But don't avoid it. <laughs> or, or let me say it like this. Avoid those things. Um, but don't engage don't not engage with it, if I can use a double negative. Too often as Christians, we run away from the world instead of engaging with the things of the world. And that's not what he's saying. He's saying just don't participate in the evil things, but show the world what is good. So, what is the beautiful? The full good news of Jesus Christ. The exposition, the explanation of, the, of God's word. Faithfully pointing us to the glory of God and not our own glory. And the freedom that comes from pointing you away from self 
and pointing to you from to, toward anything other than Jesus Christ. I think one of the things that we struggle with is that we believe that it is up to us to give ourselves worth. Or we look for other things in this world to give us worth. And we try to identify, our, or identify ourselves according to what, what thinks, we think makes us valuable. And the scriptures say to us, there's one thing that makes us good and valuable. Well, first of all, that we're made in the image of God. And that all humans are made in the image of God. And we have inherent dignity because of that. But as Christ people, we are no longer identified as ourselves, but we are identified in Christ. We are His. And that needs to be what we show the world. That we are not our own, but we belong to Christ. Alright, so in conclusion, let me say this. I've just given you a list of things. And what I hope you have heard in this is not a list of things that you have to do in order to earn God's approval. That's not what this is. This is not a list for you to go and say, well, I have to do these things. And it shouldn't be burdensome to us. I hope that it's not. This is the outworking of the Spirit in the lives of His people. There's a key there. You have to be one of His people. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you can be. We're talking about sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ, and the continual growth of being more like Christ because of what He's already done for you and saving you from yourself. It is my prayer and my hope that these things are not burdensome, but that they would be a delight for us as Christians to be prayerful, to be spiritful, and to be beautiful, to show the world the beauty of Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for giving us this word today. We pray that you would use it for your sake, for your purposes. And Lord, I thank you that uh, the results of the preaching of your word is not left up to, to me, to my ability, but it is uh, your work in the lives of your people calling us to repentance, calling us to faith in Jesus. Father, we pray that you would be pleased with us today, not because of ourselves, but because of Jesus. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.